0: Good morning. So, as was mentioned today, is Pentecost. Um, I think we're all familiar with that. But nonetheless, we look back at it and remember the outpouring of God's Spirit. But, on, but not only that, but also um, encouraging and be reminded that we're still blessed with it every day. And that God's promises are still here today. And we have the presence of God with us even today. As he had promised in the word. The Holy Spirit being poured out upon all flesh is a a fundamental truth of the new covenant that was anticipated and prophesied. And I believe the Holy Spirit being with us. Is it's not just a, a thing it's not just a feeling it's not just uh, something maybe or an influence but the Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity who is with us and um, it's a life that we need to cultivate and learn to be obedient to the Holy Spirit um, for our Prayer this morning, I would like to sing a song in a prayerful way, Psalm 609 in the hymn book. And it portrays a, a ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's. Uh, I want you, as, as you look at the words, and as we meditate on the words and sing it, I want you to sing it prayerfully. Prayerfully praying and singing to the Holy Spirit with these words just so we get more of an understanding of what the Holy Spirit's uh, ministry is in our life. So we can rise with that, please. Mm-hmm. Read
1: Amen. Oh.
0: thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for ministering, for being faithful. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for sending the Holy Spirit with a promise that he be with us always. And Lord, we pray this morning that we may have the grace to be mindful and to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to you, O Lord God, as you move in our midst. As the word comes forth, to discern the word, to take in the word, to let the word move in our hearts, to let the word grow and produce, Lord. We pray, Lord, and we may have hearts that are obedient this morning to you. We pray that we may see and taste. Holy Spirit, we pray that you fill our room, that your presence may be with us here. We pray that you prepare our hearts. We pray that we have eternity in mind. Bless this time here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (laughs) For our text this morning, I would like to turn to Joel, chapter 2. Verse 28, <clears throat> again, it's a good day to, to have our Bible with us on our lap and just follow along and let the Word of God come alive. Joel chapter 2, verse 28, <clears throat> verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of that great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever, sh- whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. For Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Joel prophesied a new day is coming. A new age is coming. And we're living in it. He prophesied that God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. He will back it up with signs, and whosoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. So many times we're looking for miracles here and there, and and just just this miracle that God has given his spirit. That he given us his spirit to live and to minister with a promise. Whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a faithful promise that is. Whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. He gives us an opportunity to escape eternal damnation, eternal judgment, the wrath of God. He's given the church a comforter, a tool, not a tool, a helper, to minister with that. And it is the Holy Spirit's ministry. One of the ministers of the Holy Spirit is to convict the church is to convict people, remind them of righteousness and of the judgment to come. Yet, in our life, there has to be something going on, a life of obedience. A life that is sold out where the Holy Spirit can minister, through which the Holy Spirit can minister. he poured out his spirit on the church and it's it's the church that would minister <clears throat> so whatever happened 2000 years ago at pentecost was a sign as Jesus had promised that he would send a comforter and one and a few interesting facts on that on pentecost and that it is on the second feast that God had commanded the children of Israel to observe through Moses. Exodus 23, verse 14. He said, three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commended you. At the time appointed in the month of Ib- I- Abib." For in it you came out of Egypt, none shall appear before me empty. And and verse 16, and the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labor, which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. So on the second feast, the feast of harvest is when the Holy Spirit came. And both the Feast of Harvest and Pentecost are celebrated after a count of seven weeks, which is why one means weeks and the other means 50. Pentecost, Pente, I think, believe, means 50. Shavuot, which is cel- called the, what they call the Feast Shavuot, is celebrated seven weeks after Passover. And Pentecost is celebrated seven weeks after Easter. And this is not a coincidence the Greek term Pentecost is used by some authors of the Septuagint and by the author of Acts to refer to the Jewish celebration of Shavuot. In the specific case of Shavuot, it, this takes the form of entering into the covenant or formal agreement between God and Israel at Mount Sinai. And this is a joyous time, since it is the moment at which God and Israel entered into a figurative marriage with each other the hopeful springtime of their relationship. So likewise, so is Pentecost to the church. After Christ suffered and died on the cross and was resurrected, he promised them in Acts 1, Acts chapter 1. If you want to go there, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. It says, And being assembled together with them, he commended them. Not to depart from Jerusalem. But to wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said. You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. And here Jesus is giving again. The promise of the Holy Spirit. And down to verse 8. But you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you should be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And this is the promise that He gave to the church, to His disciples, that I will send a promiser, a, prom- a comforter, and he did. And one thing I've noticed <clears throat> in the word of God. Every time God went to dwell, or uh, like a physical uh, dwelling, or whatever that may be, when he went to dwell in the midst of a people, he manifested, he he somehow manifested it in some obvious sign. And this is a scriptural truth that I would like us to think about, and I want to put a little bit of emphasis on it this morning. God, God's heart has always been to dwell in the midst of his people. He has always looked for a people. He has always been jealous of a people. He poured out his blessings on Israel. and But as soon as Israel turned away, the blessings stopped. As soon as Israel started worshiping idols, God withdrew his presence and even gave them over to the enemy. Um, If you read through that history, you can read it all the way from Exodus into 2 Chronicles. And at times it even looks cruel what happened to a people that they had their own land, they had their country. But nonetheless... God stays true to his word. And when they sinned and when they brought in idols, worshipping devils, worshipping idols, he left. He gave them over to their to their enemies until they came before him in humility. Many a times, when even when there was a king that came back. He restored, he he restored strength, he restored the land. But nonetheless, he is looking for a a people and his desire is to be manifested amongst a people. The first account, of course, is in Exodus with the tabernacle. I know there was a lot of going back and forth with Moses, but he... His desire was to have a dwelling place, which was a tabernacle, and it is in Exodus chapter forty. And chapter forty is the is the last chapter of Exodus. This is how the book ends. And it, it the end of the book, it records the making and instructions of the tabernacle. And chapter forty is setting it up. So in chapter forty, verse thirty-three, he said. And it says, and he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the screen of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Now, if you've ever studied the instructions and the work that was done at at the tabernacle was so intricate and precise to what God had instructed. Now, it begs to ask the question, what does that mean in our life? Did God put away with all, with everything, and said, Well, come as you are, as long as you believe that Jesus died on the cross, you can live your life. No, I I believe that the the tabernacle is a type. I believe the tabernacle is is a type of what God wants from His church. What, what does, and what he expects from our life? And I look at it, filling the presence of the tabernacle. There was a work that was finished. There was a put in order. There was an obedience, as God had commended. There was a coming into, like it says in Hebrew, into a rest, and when it was finished in verse thirty-four. So Moses finished the work. Verse 34 of Exodus 40, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting, because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And one thing I noticed here, Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because of the glory of the Lord. Verse 36, Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then, did, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. With his presence, he led and guided the whole congregation as they journeyed through the wilderness. I marvel a lot at that picture of the way even the camp was set up in a tabernacle right in the middle of it. Okay, the second account is at the completion of the temple in Second Chronicle 7. And again, after building according to what the Lord had commanded. And even given plenty of instructions to David. Everything according to the Lord. Solomon and all the congregation again was there dedicating the temple to the Lord. And we come to verse 1. When Solomon had finished praying fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Again, we we get it again here. The priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled it. Verse three: When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, "For He is good, for His mercy endures forever." Looking at these accounts, there's there's in between written in between and very obvious uh, ways of um, telling what it looks like when the Holy Spirit does touch our life. And one thing I really appreciate is, is the getting ready, the completion, the work. And I see that in our life as works of obedience. Remember when Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not smorgasbord of commandments. You keep my commandments And I will send the comforter. And another thing that we can take out of that is the humility. And at the same time, the praise. Their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And I believe the more we come into the presence of God, the more we see this kind of behavior in our lives. Humility before our brethren, before our sisters. A, a aweness of God, who He is. And the touching of the Holy Spirit in our lives will be evident. And I believe it's it's different than what we hear nowadays of what a lot of times the modern church is trying to make of it. That's why it's important to read Scripture and the nature of God, the nature of the Holy Spirit. Okay, the third account These are the ones that came to remembrance in my head. The third account is at Pentecost, when the prophecy was fulfilled that we had earlier. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Acts chapter 2, if you want to go there again, there's a few things to notice there again for the church. Acts chapter 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Here again we see a, a prep of coming up to that hour. They were all with one accord in one place. They were all with one accord in one place. And they would then just come together to drink tea or to have some kind of a um, easy time. They were waiting, as was commended by the Lord, for His blessing, for His presence. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Again, we, we have an obvious sign here. We have the Lord confirming what He had promised. We see the Lord is entering the dwelling, the temple of the last days, his church, his people. And he's confirming it with an obvious sign, with fire, with, with a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, that it filled the whole house where they were sitting with divided tongues as a fire, and one sat on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, And speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And verse 5: And there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And this one thing I want you to notice there were Jews, devout men, and these Jews were from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. So the sound was heard by the multitude. And they came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. Then they were all amiss and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear, each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes. Elamites, Elim, and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, um, Egypt, and other parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome. And here it goes again, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful work of God. His outpouring of the Holy Spirit was the fulfillment of the prophecy that God had given concerning the new covenant. And again we see a significant and incredible moving of God as It was now filling the hearts and lives, lives of his people. But as I said, did we notice that there were many nations present, but did he also notice, that the way I'm understanding is that they were Jews and proselytes. And remember, he said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And also he commended them to go to all nations. Later on, the church came together to pray and seek the Lord in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. It says, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Again, this was at the church, the church at Jerusalem. And I believe the Spirit of God, as Jesus promised in John, <clears throat> is a comforter on our journey here, and we will see him manifested as we walk in obedience to him. And we'll hopefully talk about that some more. But what I want to put emphasis at this very moment is, is how God manifests His presence when it comes to dwell in His no-dwelling place. And here it's the church. It is the beginning of a new age. This is my dwelling place. The people. His people, His followers, the believers. I want to speak about another, the last one, the fourth account, of another Pentecost-like experience. Can anybody guess where that is? Are we shy? Yes. Acts chapter 10. There is the working of God in a man called Cornelius. The Bible describes him this way in Acts 10.2, A devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Again, as we look at the life of Cornelius, there was a working there. There was a working of obedience, there was a working of seeking God, there was a, a single heart towards the things of God. And as he was praying one day, it was an angel came to him. An angel told him to send for Peter. It was the beginning of the Gentiles entering into the church, of adopting the Gentiles. Through the miraculous workings of God, Peter preached the gospel to a group of Gentiles. And how did God confirm and respond to the working? Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision... Who believed were astonished. Why were they astonished? Because they have not seen yet, that's what I believe, they have not seen yet where the Holy Spirit, where the church came to the Gentiles. Those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard him speak with tongues and magnifying God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should, be, should not be baptized to have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commended them to be baptized in the name of the Lord and they asked him to stay a few days. And I believe God chose this outward, this obvious sign on his confirmation with the conversation that he had earlier with Peter when the sheet full of unclean animals came down. And he said, what I call clean is not unclean. And he gave him a word. Basically there, he gave him a word to, to minister even unto the Gentiles. And I believe this whole sign there was a confirmation that God blessed it. And that he, that he is behind him. So again, if we look at all the times where God manifests himself in a place where he will dwell, like at the tabernacle, the temple, the church in Acts 2, which was mostly Jewish believers. And now that he included the Gentiles in the church, we see the same confirmation. It's the glory of the Lord is being manifested. Looking back and studying these events we hear and then we hear people talk that we need another outpouring of God like the church experience in acts we see people desiring such an experience for a better spiritual experience but what is again what is the common denominator in all these events that we just covered in all of these events There is a a life that is seeking to please God in obedience. From the tabernacle to the temple at Pentecost. These were the disciples. He discipled them for three years. And he was with them 40 days after the resurrection. And he commended them. To tarry in Jerusalem, which they did, and they came together in one accord with that, and then we have Cornelius seeking and praying to God, and you can see that there's a heart there that wanted to please God a Gentile so one another that is very common in all three, and I believe if you could probably find it in in the tabernacle too, is prayer. It is after prayer or with prayer that God responded. In the temple it says, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came from heaven. The tabernacle was furnished by the word of God. And everything had to be as he commanded it to be. There was lots of tithes pointing to the working of Christ. When the work was completed and the tabernacle was dedicated, the presence of the Lord came over it. The temple after it was done and precisely constructed after instructions of David, the temple was dedicated to the Lord and the presence of the Lord filled in the temple. After Jesus had come to this earth and made a new and living way to come justified to the Father and Discipled his followers. He promised a comforter in Acts 2. We see the fulfillment of that promise And to the promise that Jesus made when he said in Matthew the last verse and lo I am with you always even to the end of the age And this is how he is with us always even to the end of the age he said it is needful that I go so I can send So the comforter can come So it was Jesus giving his confirmation to the church and that he will be with them wherever they go. Being heirs by faith today, we rely still on these promises. 2,000 years after he's given them, we still rely on these promises. So God has made his statement. He has confirmed his covenant So where does that leave us today? What is the working of God through the Holy Spirit in our lives? I believe as the tabernacle and the temple had to be in line with the commandments of God, so is it, so it is with our lives. We do not come to Christ and make our own set of rules we come to him in humility sometimes i wonder if we understand the desire or the working of the holy spirit Sometimes I wonder if we don't just focus on knowing Christ and gaining more knowledge and renewing our knowledge and just keep on, as the Hebrews writer said, um, going back to the fundamentals Hebrew Hebrews 6, going back to, how does he call them? I forgot now, to the basics. What, What does he call them now? Laying again the foundation, yeah. And sometimes I wonder if, if we are not at that place. When when God himself, through the Holy Spirit, has promised that he'll give us power, that he'll give us uh, a comforter. And I believe if, if we look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I don't think we'll see the working of God through the Holy Spirit if we do not pursue Christ. Just as the apostles pursued him, just as Cornelius pursued him, I think this is the time when the Holy Spirit will be able to fulfill his ministry through people and his true believers that love the Lord, that seek to further his church. Let's look at a few verses here concerning the promise of the Holy Spirit. Of course, first there is the recognition of the redemptive work, as we heard in the opening, the redemptive work of Christ in our lives. Um, again, that has to be clear. I believe in order for, for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, it has to be clear. We cannot live a lie and, uh, and, and buy into this, this modern Christianity lie that we can sin all we want and then pray a prayer of forgiveness and, 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 and keep going. Or never, being able, never wanting to, to make sacrifices for, for things or bad habits in our life. There has to be a clear line in our lives. And the redemptive work of Christ in our lives has to be clear. It has to be a testimony. And once we believe that Christ responds by filling our hearts with His presence, then there's a work that has begun. Ezekiel talked about it in chapter 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And just look at that metaphor here. He said, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. So he's saying that we have a body of flesh and in it we've got a heart of stone. And until Christ does this work in us, there is this hardened heart that cannot be penetrated by the gospel. And the answer may not be 100% in this verse, but we've got the rest of Scripture. They asked Peter, what shall we do? After the day day of Pentecost, when Peter preached to them and told them about the prophecy in Joel, he said, what shall we do? They were pricked in their hearts. And he said, repent, believe, repent, and be baptized. A faith that God can do that. Repent. Repent is not saying, I'm sorry, doing it again tomorrow. Repent is turning away from our old life, as we heard in the opening. And without that happening, there's a heart of stone in our flesh. And we can try... As hard as we, possibly with all our strength, on a heart of stone, there will be no seeds growing. It'll be working, it'll be a brainwave, and it'll be over again. There is no seed growing on stone. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within, within you. So he's going to give us a heart of flesh that is soft, that is cultivated, where the word of God can richly dwell. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. And in the verse 27, he does his part, we do our part. We walk in his statutes and we keep his judgments do them. Once we have repented of our sin and surrounded, surrendered to Christ, we have the opportunity to walk in the newness of life. Romans 6, 4, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just As Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. And Jesus talked about sending the Spirit. We we touched that. If you love me, you keep my commandments. And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. And it's even the Spirit of truth Whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. He said to them, you know him, but the world doesn't know him. So again, in our heart, something has to happen before we know him and recognize who the spirit of truth is. Romans 8.12, I want you to go there, Romans 8, verse 12, Romans chapter 8, verse 12. <clears throat> and again, we're talking here, if you go through Romans, it's, a, it's at a point where we're saved by faith, by the grace of God. And he's talking about the working of God's Spirit in our lives. Verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. This is a very, very profound truth that is not often talked about. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of your body, ye shall live. I don't think mortifying the deeds of our body and our flesh is fun and easy. I don't think it's something that comes automatically. In fact, if we don't, we live after the flesh and we die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So there's something happening. In a person that is mortifying the deeds of his flesh, that goes against his flesh, that learns to know who the Holy Spirit is in his life, to walk after the Holy Spirit, there's a confidence happening. It's not just going out here now saying, Abba, Father. There's a confidence happening in walking, in learning to know who the Spirit of God is, where we cry to him as a father. And to know him as a father. As our heavenly father. And it's true being led by the spirit of God. Even when it's not convenient. Even when it hurts. Even when common sense would go against it, By faith even for as many as are led by the spirit of god they are the sons of god and here's another one verse 16 the spirit itself bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of god again my children know who their parents are with confidence parents sitting here your children know who they are who they are there's something Happening of a life of obedience. The spirit itself bear witness with our spirit. that We are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him. That we may be also glorified together if so be that we suffer with him, that we all may also glorif- be glorified together. So there are many ideas about Pentecost and the, ministry of what the what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is. I believe ultimately it is to make and form a people That are God's own chosen vessels. That are his kingdom. And that love him. And that keep his commandments. Our first priority is to keep his commandments. Not those again that are convenient to us. But we seek. We seek to understand the commandments of God. We delight in the law of the Lord. So often we hear, is it really important to do this? Is it really important to do that? Or what sense does this make? Or what?" When I hear that, I don't see a striving. I don't see a striving to be Christ-like. I've always said there's two ways of questioning the scripture. One is, do we have to do all that? And one is, how can we be more like Christ? What does this verse say? What does it mean to mortify our flesh to be more and to have more of the Spirit of God? We need to check our hearts how we look at Scripture. Because I believe if we just question do we need to do do we need to do this and get away with obeying Christ? I don't think there's going to be much of a working to our lives. I don't think there's much work in the Holy Spirit can do in a life that has given himself completely to Christ. Charles Spurgeon, Spurgeon said, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without wind. We are useless. Now the question is. If we don't feel the Holy Spirit in our lives. What do we do? Do we pray for the Holy Spirit? Yes. But do we realize. There also has to be a seeking of God. In our lives. It's very healthy. To pray. For God's presence in our life. But. Do we also realize at the same time that there's mortifying to do in our life? That there's giving up to do. There's cutting off some things we love. There's, it's giving up some things, things maybe we love. It's doing things we probably don't like. And so on and so forth. Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are ships. Without wind, we are useless. The Holy Spirit is minister when he comes. He will convict the world of its sin. And of God's righteousness. And of the coming judgment. So anytime you're pricked in your heart. With these three things. That is the Holy Spirit working in your lives. Don't run from it. Don't try to numb it. Don't try to fix it. That is the Holy Spirit drawing. Convicting of sin. Convicting of God's righteousness. And of the coming judgment. That is the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. Once Christ returned to the Father, he promised that the comforter would come. The Holy Spirit is an ever-present comforter for the believer that brings him closer to God. The Holy Spirit is our earnest. Our earnest payment for our redemption. Ephesians 1.14. Earnest payment is like a down payment. Ephesians 1.14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. He has a constant reminder that Jesus gave his life for us. And that we are awaiting the return of his bride. The return for his bride. The Holy Spirit is indwelling us. As Joel prophesied, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. He is always with us. He dwells with us. He is a teacher. Bearing perception and understanding, John 16, 13. Howbeit when he... The Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will shew you things to come. And John fourteen twenty six, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I said unto you. The Holy Spirit brings power to a believer's life. Jesus said in Acts 1 8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come unto you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So in the new covenant, without the Holy Spirit of God, it will only bring deadness. We're back into the old covenant. I believe the church will not function without the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9. Back to Romans 8, 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. This is what Paul is telling us here. If, then he goes on with an if. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. And he goes in with another another big punch. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And that goes back to Ephesians 1.14, that he is the earnest of our redemption. And Paul says here, if you don't have the spirit of God, he's none of this. Each of us need to be moved and inspired by the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And just reading through Acts, there are multiple and many accounts and very obvious that God led the early church through the Holy Spirit. I believe this is why we have Acts to record the beginning of the church and how God moved through the Holy Spirit. Now again, the simplest way to check if we have the Spirit of God is if the fruit of the Spirit are in our life. Galatians 5, 22. And a fruit is something... That is a result of something, I should not say that. It is, the, it is the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit being able to function and work in our lives. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Amen. How do we know if these attributes are fruit or workings? I believe it is when they they constantly they, they come forth. It's our character that comes forward, especially through meekness, that the Holy Spirit is evident, can be expressed in a believer's life. And now we know we still have our flesh to deal with. We know what the workings of the flesh are. The same chapter give, gives us the workings of the flesh. If habitually these workings of the flesh come forth every day, then we know we're not in the spirit, but we're in the flesh. But if the fruit are evident, love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, then we know the Holy Spirit is working. In our lives, in our brothers' lives, in our sisters' lives, it's working. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, Lord, we come before you and we are thankful that we have the Comforter, that we have the Holy Spirit with us. We pray, Lord, that you give us the grace to see and to know and to mortify our flesh, to let the working of your Spirit, Lord, to work in our hearts and in our lives. Give us hearts and lives that are sensitive to your moving, to your leading, to your convicting in what you've come to do, Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that we have hearts that are and doors to our hearts that are open to your knocking, that we recognize the signs of of the times we're living in. And we thank you so much for this abundant grace of the love that you poured out and that the love that you have for your church, for your bride, that you have a comforter here with us. Lord, may we hear, may we listen to what he has to say. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.